0: Yeah.
2: Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to episode 230 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and thank you as always for joining us. This week is our offensive preview for the season, and we're going to not waste too much time, but get right into it. Chris McShane and I answer a couple emails and then talk about the Mets offense in regard and and sort of position by position offense in regards to uh, the NL East. So enjoy. All right, Chris, we're going to start off with an email we have today. As always, you can email the show at podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. This is from Jonathan, and I'm going to skip the nice preamble where he talks nice things about us. Do you think it is absolutely necessary to win now, the next two seasons, due to Atlanta, Philly, and Miami seemingly on the track to rebuild and may be very good in just two or three seasons? Or rather, do you think the Mets are in a position to sustain themselves as perennial playoff contenders beyond the 2018 season and go into every season duking it out with all four teams in the NL East? If you had to choose one of the two scenarios, which you should pick, the Mets being in the World Series for 2017 and 2018 with a chance to win the uh, title, knowing that if they would win uh it would take them out of the playoffs for the next 8 seasons up to the 2026 season or the Mets being in the position to just make the playoffs not knowing how far they go they may go in the playoffs for the next 10 seasons but you will know they'll be above 500 every season and in contention to make the playoffs for all 10 seasons so because we're going to do an offensive preview I this is kind of a fun place to start um just thinking about you know how the team is built and what the future looks like. Do you have a uh, a strong opinion on this, Chris? Well,
3: my first strong opinion is that I don't think Miami's on track to do anything right.
2: <laughs> that is probably true. Although they might have a new owner very soon, so maybe they could be.
3: No, no, that's true. But just obviously, Giancarlo Stanton is a generational talent. And obviously, it, you know, the tragic loss of Jose Fernandez sets them back from a baseball perspective. But the farm system that they have in place is consistently rated very poorly by just about everyone. Uh, You know, we've seen teams turn it around faster than uh, average, I would say. So depending on how they go about what they do with ownership and if that officially changes and what happens in the front office and everything, maybe. But you know, Atlanta and Philadelphia looked like teams right now that could be good sooner. Yeah and i i would say you, the nationals success is not guaranteed to continue forever uh by the time atlanta and philadelphia are really good bryce Harper might not be a national
2: i would say it's more le- it's likely bryce harper's international at that point
3: yeah and daniel murphy even if he continues what he did last year you know he might be coming down uh Scherzer is outstanding so you know i would hate it if fans of other teams Started saying that Jacob Degrom was going to be bad as soon as he turned turned thirty. Huh. So I don't want to, I don't want to say that because I don't that think it's fair. fair. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I I don't know that there will be a time. Maybe there will be uh, that there are four or five teams in the division who can contend, not just for the title, but maybe the first and second wild card spots. Um, all that being said, I think the philosophical end of this. I need one World Series. I don't. I think I would still say if I could guarantee one or the other, you know, making the next two World Series, but not being sure what happens, or making the playoffs ten more seasons in a row. I think I'm being taking in the, the position
2: la- to make the, the playoffs, not making it for ten years, but being in the position to make it.
3: Yeah, but like really, legitimately contending. I think, you know, it's philosophically, uh, I think I would go with always contending, just because
2: you never know what happens in a in a playoff run. Well, that that's sort of my position as well. But um, do you have anything else to to say before I uh, steamroll
3: this? Uh No, just like I, I want a World Series. I,
2: I want one that I have a memory for. Well, you know, I would... Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. I, I didn't consider that. If it was guaranteed a World Series and then not the playoffs for eight seasons, I'd be more tempted. But I think, I mean, just the sort of from, from our generation, the sort of example here is the Braves in the 90s. Right. The Braves made it to the World Series a number of times, only won one time, but were right. consistently good for a plus, right? They were they were exciting to watch. They were um they had you know once in a generation talent. It was it was super exciting to be a Braves fan for that time. And I think I would really relish that as a Mets fan. Now, I also recognize it'll be frustrating to be in the wilderness if they don't win. You know, for every off season would hurt like like this that these past two off seasons have hurt, and I'm I don't know if my body's built for that, (laughs) um, you know, but I think I would rather roll the dice on them being consistently good for ten years because I mean think about this past year, right? This team was good, it wasn't great, but because they were in a position to. Contend and they were able to make, you know, perhaps an an Ill, an ill conceived trade. But they were in position to make a trade at the deadline. They were able to make it into the playoffs in a year they probably shouldn't have made it into the playoffs. And I think that if a team is consistently good enough, there might be those years when it's a heartbreaker and your good team doesn't make the playoffs. But I think just being consistently good, it's easier to sneak into the playoffs than. It's easier to sneak into the playoffs and go far in baseball. That I would. That I would. I think I'd still with ten years. Ten years of playoff contention.
3: Yeah, I hate to uh, put it this way, but perhaps Jeff Wilpon was on, onto something with meaningful games in September.
2: <laughs> oh boy, that,
3: that shouldn't be the goal. It, but it's sort of you know it's an infamous line, right? But but he's but- not incorrect. Right, that concept having actually had it play out now for the last two years. Although in 2015 it was only a little bit of September because the Mets just ran away from the Nationals. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would like those kinds of non-meaningful games in September. (laughs) Yeah, laughers in September. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's it's a lot nicer. Even last year, with the context of everything that happened with the team, it's a lot nicer to. Talk to a friend and say, hey, uh, it looks like they might clinch in Philadelphia in September. You know, let's yeah. let's drive down, go see it, and uh, have it work out. You know, that's a lot better than going, uh, I'm going to get like $5 after the StubHub fee on this ticket for my ticket plan that I have left right on a Saturday in September. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's. It's funny. I mean strictly probability-wise I suppose, you know, getting one World Series is more likely if you know you're in it in back-to-back years. But it kind of feels like 10 years of being around and contending would give you at least as good of an opportunity for
2: one. The way I would just think of it is is simply that you know, some years you're going to run into a buzzsaw of a team like the 2016 Cubs, right? But some years you're going to you're going to go against I think it was in 04 or 05, the Padres made the world made the playoffs with a losing record from the NL West. Yes. Like you know, some years you're going to wind up against that team and then you're in the and then you're in the championship series. And maybe you're the Mets from 06 and Pedro gets hurt and can't pitch in the in the championship series. You know, so you just never know what's going to happen in a playoff series. So I would rather position myself to be in a pos- in that place where a lucky or a bad break one way or the other could really influence the the playoff series than to just know I'm going to get there twice because we've seen teams lose two years in a row in the World Series. It happens that yeah it does you know it's not just the super bowls from the early 90s yeah the, the man the bills and the uh the braves make a really interesting parallel when you talk about them together yeah um, but anyway we're going to talk about the offensive makeup of the mets for the next you know little bit of time here I'll sort of preview the season offensively and i have an exercise that I'm, i want to run through with you in a bit Uh, But first, I want to hear your general offensive thoughts on the Mets in 2017. Are you feeling relatively good about them as an offensive unit? Do you have concerns? And if so, where do you have those concerns, Chris? I would say, yes, I'm feeling relatively good. Going into
3: last season, I thought that they would maybe be a top 10 team in baseball and runs per game. That did not happen. (laughs) No, it didn't. (laughs) But uh, I I would say I'll, I'll... temper my expectations a little bit and say top half of baseball. So, you know, 15th or better. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily spectacular, but with the pitching they have, that should be good enough. Yeah. And I think ultimately, I mean, I love UNS Sespitas, and I would not be surprised if he has his best year. I mean, he's been excellent the last two years. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he surpasses that in any given season. I don't expect him to turn into Mike Trout uh, or Paul Goldschmidt, you know, I mean that upper upper tier of overall hitter. Uh, like Cespedis is perfect for the Mets, it, everything is clicked and you can have him be the centerpiece of your offense and and it's fine. That's it's not a knock on him at all, but just comparing, you know, you, you don't have a guy who as of yet would maybe be the best hitter in baseball on this roster but the bottom end is pretty good even with David Wright starting the season on the shelf
2: you know you starting you, the season <laughs> Hey, you know me. You know where I stand. I know. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> I just think it's fun yeah. at this point to uh, to make you be as optimistic as possible in all situations.
3: Yeah. Well, hopefully the National League implements the designated hitter. I've sold out all of my principles about <laughs> baseball. Me uh, too. Hopefully, pal. hopefully, hopefully they do it next week. Yeah. But uh, it, it's sort of this idea. You know, you look at the potential opening day lineup, and I think as we're recording the recent spring training lineups were. Probably pretty similar to it, and I think it was Reyes Cabrera Cespedes, uh, and then some combination of everybody else. You know, Walker, Bruce, Granderson, uh, right? Uh, Granderson, Duda, Darno. Barring a catastrophic year from Darno again, there's not anybody there who's terrible. You know, there's there's not an easy out. So you might have. I mean, even when you look at the the stats from last year. You have a bunch of guys who are above average, you know, not by a ton, but you you go up and down the lineup, and there's no uh, picnic, so to speak. Right. So I guess that's my cause for optimism is that, you know, you might have some regression from some of the veteran players on this roster who did really well last year. You know, some of that might be made up for by others whether it be Darno or Duda just being a little bit more like what they had been right before their injured uh 2016 campaigns so yeah i guess that that's sort of my overall look at it i expect an average to slightly above average offense uh you know if if things go exceedingly well great and if I, I think the bottoming out would be somewhere, you know, slightly below average in terms of runs per game. Uh, and it's always it, – within the National League, is always a little bit better, at least for comparison's sake, just because the leagues have, you know, different rules. Right. That affect offensive output. So,
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think worst-case scenario, they are a – Slightly below the the average offense. Um, just for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, if, if Duda is healthy, and if Darno is healthy, and you know, Darno just doesn't have the the absolute disaster of a year that he had last year. I think you know, realistically, like you said, there's not really an easy out anywhere up and down the lineup. It's certainly not a lineup that a great pitcher couldn't shut down, but it seems like the type of lineup that there's enough talent there that you're not going to see the 2010 2011 teams when just no when when a hit by pitch was celebrated right because somebody was on base right. like that, that that's just not going to happen this year so i feel generally pretty good about the uh the offense and i think that you know if i'm putting on my chris McShane mask here for a second i think if everything <laughs> clicks for them they have a potential to 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 really run away with the division if everything clicks for them on both sides of the ball which is never going to happen but you know let's just let's pretend for a second here that Walker and Cabrera are as good as they were last year and a little bit healthier let's say that Duda reverts back to his 2014-2015 line let's hope that Travis Darno is the catcher he was the second half of 2016 and all of a sudden even if Granderson and Cespedes and Bruce are all just their average selves you're looking at an excellent lineup if if Cespedes continues to love playing in New York and hit hit like you know like he's going for the MVP and you know he said he wants to be the MVP this year if if those type of things happen the team really has a potential to put together some some high scoring games and some consistently high scoring games uh, I don't necessarily think all that's going to go right but and the potential is there, and I feel pretty good about the Mets' offense. Um, now, the exercise I'm going to do with you, Chris, is I have pulled up depth charts for all of the NL East for this season. All and right. And we're going to go through just position by position. I'm going to give you all of the blank position players, and you're going to rank the top three for me. Okay. Got it? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm up for a game. All right. Let, let's start with first base. <laughs> so, uh, Lucas Duda. <clears throat> right. Obviously. Ryan Zimmerman for the Nationals. Yeah. Um, let's see. Tommy Joseph for the Phillies. All right. Justin Bohr for the uh, Marlins. And Freddie Freeman for the Braves. So
3: Freeman has won. Yes. that a very bold statement there by me.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, so Freeman won... I just don't the Zimmerman five, those those two I know. Yes. So I've I've established the top and bottom of these rankings. I'm i maybe a little bit of a homer here, but I would go Duda Bor Joseph. Yeah, I I I think I do the exact same thing. Uh, you know, it's the fact that Duda's, you know, done what he's done, just played, been healthy, that kind of stuff, uh, through spring training to this point. That's that's plenty to like for me. Yeah. So.
2: All right. Let's move on to second base. So we have Neil Walker for the Mets, Daniel Murphy for the Nationals, um, Cesar Hernandez for the Phillies, uh, Dee Gordon for the Marlins, and Brandon Phillips for the Braves. All right. So Murphy won
3: despite our previous conversations about yes. – <laughs> who would have the better season i i will I, I did consistently say during those that the smart money would be taking him so murphy one walker two uh i think i i don't i D gordon is so overrated yes but, he is but, but so was
2: brandon phillips
3: yes but in 2017 i'm taking d gordon over phillips yes and i i might even take cesar hernandez over him uh I don't know. That might be a little bit bold. Let me let me at least – I'm trying to do this mostly off my top of my head, but let me at <laughs> least get some facts in front sure, of me. Sure, Yeah, screw it. I'll take Hernandez over. <laughs> I'm putting Phillips fifth.
2: I, I I actually have the exact same rankings you do. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, if Brandon Phillips, uh, for his anti seamer metric stance, will always be a least favorite player of mine, but especially compared with these other guys, he's just – and Phillips, in twenty seventeen.
3: Phillips has such a weird like public persona. When Twitter was new, he he like went to a kid tweeted at him and he like went to his little league game and he did all the stuff where it was like this down to earth you know, like it's not man of the people. Right. And then it turns into like a reporter says something about his on base percentage and he calls him fat. Like it's like what like I don't know. There's a there's a big turn there and that I think factors into uh the tiebreaker there for me. Yeah. <laughs> All
2: right. Let's move over to shortstop. Obviously, the Mets have his dribble Cabrera. Uh, we got Trey Turner in Washington. They have um, Freddie Galvis in Philly. We have Danny Echeverria in um, Miami and Dansby Swanson in Atlanta. And remember, we're talking about this season, we're not talking about. Who you would draft for your team Knowing in the future We're talking about in 2017 Who do you like? So Turner One Yep uh,
3: I know it, th- This might Sound terrible in six months But I'm going as Dribble two <laughs> swan, Swanson three uh, And then uh, The other two Hedgevury five And who's left? Oh no, Galvius?
2: Uh, Galvius, yeah.
3: Yeah, no, no. I guess I I guess I'd go Galvi's four and Hedgeburi up five.
2: I think I would swap two and three and four and five on your list. Okay. But, it,
3: that, yeah, no, I know I know I'm you know saying something negative about one of the uh, darling prospects of, of baseball right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but
2: but I'm not saying that you're you know, I don't think you're being crazy. Right. No, it's... You're not saying Freddie Freeman's the fifth worst first baseman in the division. Right. Right. All right. Third base. David Wright won. (laughs) But in in the next division. (laughs) They actually, uh, according to the ESPN depth chart, they have Jose Reyes as the first in line. And I guess because he'll be the opening day third baseman, we'll go with Reyes for now.
3: Right. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. That's not... Yeah. So, Jose
2: Reyes for the Mets... Uh, Anthony Rendon for the Nationals, um Michael uh, Franco for the Phillies, uh, Martin Prado for the Marlins. I always forget he's a Marlin. And um Adonis Garcia, Adonis Garcia for the uh Braves. So let's see. Franco or Franco, sorry. Yeah. One uh I like Prado a lot, but I don't know if I like him at third base a lot. I like him as the super sub guy. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's true. So uh, Franco one, I, I'll give Rendon a slight edge, even though, despite all the promise, he has yet to really prove it and put it together in Agreed. the big leagues. But I will give him a slight edge there. Uh, two, Reyes, three, Prado, four. And uh, who's left? Five. Uh-huh. Garcia. Yeah. Yeah, that's – and I will say that I think the difference is from two to four there, mm-hmm. I would expect to be fairly small.
2: Yes, agreed. Agreed. It's a, it's a top-heavy uh, discussion. Yeah. All right, let's write out the en- infield catcher here. Uh, we'll go in reverse order. Tyler Flowers is the uh, – First line catcher for
3: the Braves. I remember I wrote about him as a potential backup for the Mets, and people were like, no.
2: <laughs> yep.
3: <laughs> Why did you guys even write this guy up?
2: Uh, JT Realmuto for the Marlins. Um, Cameron Rupp for the Phillies. Matt Wieters for the Nationals. And, of course, our pal Trav, Travis Darno for the Mets. All right. So
3: this is where I go out on a limb. I'm going to put Darno 1 real Muto 2, uh, Weeders 3,
2: Rupp 4, and
3: Flowers a distant 5.
2: Okay. I think if we're just talking about 2017, it changes the conversation slightly. I think I might still put Weeders 1. Yeah, I
3: don't know. He's just I just don't
2: know. You know, it's, it's it's so hard to make a call about that guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope I'm right. I. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the Mets' sake, yeah.
3: But I don't know. I'm just that you, you know you take him out of Camden, where his offensive numbers weren't even that impressive right. over the last year or two, and
2: yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. I guess he has the most consistent track record.
3: Yeah, he I guess. he does. Rail Muto is a guy who I don't I didn't really buy, but I'm I'm still for the sake of this exercise putting him high up.
2: That's fair. Uh,
3: yeah, if Matt Wieters could just be terrible, please, for the next two years. Yeah, I'm cool with that, too. Like, if he could just be a, a, a sinkhole who <laughs> balances out however great Bryce Harper is for his remaining time with the Nationals, then we, we will be happy.
2: <laughs> All right, left field. Here's, here's where the Mets start looking pretty good. Left field for the Mets, obviously, Yoannis Cespedes. Um, Jason Wirth for the Nationals. Uh, Howie Kendrick. It looks so weird uh, yeah. for the Phillies. Um, Marcel Ozuna for the Na- for the Marlins, and uh, Matt Kemp for the Braves. Man, obviously Sastre is one. Yes. Uh it's what are the other four? Kemp, Kemp, Worth, Ozuna, and uh, Howie Kendrick. All right, so
3: I, I Ozuna two for me. Uh, Worth three. Mm, I don't know. Or I, Kemp. Yeah, I I'd go Kemp with a d uh, my disclaimer is that I there's a gap for me between Tespadus and Ozuna. Yes. And it's a much bigger one between Ozuna and the rest. Yes. And Howie but Kendrick yeah. is definitely the last there. Yeah, I'd go Kemp. uh Kemp, uh worth and then Kendrick. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. For center field we have Atlanta with Ender Ender and Right. Um, Christian Yelich for Miami. Mm hmm. Uh, Oduble Herrera for the Phillies. It is Oduble, right? Yeah. Yeah, because there's, there's, there are so many Herreras in baseball right now. I get confused sometimes. Um, Adam Eaton for the Nationals. And Curtis Grandison for the Mets. I think this is where it gets
3: maybe the most interesting. There's stuff to like with everybody. I actually think I'd go Yelich one. Eaton two, I'm gonna say Granderson three, and then uh, Herrera. Like, yeah, I would, uh, I would lean out Dubal, but Inciarte to me is a guy. I get why people liked that he came over as part of that trade. Yes, but it's sort of like Rendon without the pedigree of you know that that prospect. And maybe I'm just forgetting
2: when he was a prospect. No, I agree with that. I also think it's different. When you're looking at a player the way we're looking at players right now, just not how he makes up the part of his team, but how he goes against people in the division. Right. Like, so I you- think Enciarte has a lot of value on that team, but when put up against, you know, Christian Yelich, it doesn't seem like that. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that works for me.
2: Okay, Uh, last one. We kind of flew through these. Um, Jay Bruce in right for the Mets, although I would like it to be Conforto. It's going to be Bruce. Jay Bruce in right field. Bryce Harper for the Nationals. Um, Michael Saunders for the Phillies. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Giancarlo Stanton for the Marlins. And uh, Nick Marcakis for the Braves. Okay, so... That Phillies outfield is weird, man. It is. So yeah,
3: I would I I'm I'm gonna go a little I'm I'm going Stanton one, Harper two. Oof, I don't know about that. Oh no, it's I can't it's, decide. I, I no no I know, but it's <laughs> It's
2: just that you like Stanton more.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I I'm not a Harper hater. I, I would love him to be on the Mets two years from today. Uh it's not it's not that you know, it's just I guess it's a question of like who will be better, not who do you want on your roster. That's fair. Okay. Yep. Yep. Because Stanton's never been healthy when the playoffs start, right? Which hasn't mattered because he's on a, on the Marlins, <laughs> right? Right. But yeah, it, it, strictly in the sense of you know who who looks best on paper for what they did this year, and it, I I think Harper is the real deal. You know I don't know if he ever repeats that MVP season quite to that level right so not a knock on him at all it's just did you did you see john carlos home
2: run in the <laughs> world <laughs> yes, baseball yes, classic did. of course i did by the that, way congrats team usa it was a lot of fun yeah yeah, no, it, it was a lot of fun uh, uh okay so you're you, saying stanton one, harper two
3: yeah do you and go then, bruce three well bruce saunders and uh who's the fifth that's left <laughs> marcakis marcakis is five i know that yes and i'm I, i'm some people might try to come and argue that
2: Bruce is worse than him. No, that they're wrong. Sorry.
3: Yeah, no, I'll take, you know, I'll take, if you want to call them empty home runs, I'll, I would take those <laughs> yeah. over what Marquegas does. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, it's, down, it's Bruce and Saunders. Uh, Saunders was a guy who I felt like in the middle of last summer, you know, he was the sort of hot commodity in fantasy baseball that, you know, he's putting up unexpectedly good numbers hitting home runs that kind of thing and he could do that in philly he could um yeah i guess i'm gonna put bruce the lowest of of any of my mets that i'm ranking here i'll say saunders three bruce four marquette is five wow and i'm i'm contemplating a bruce jersey just to partly mess with people <laughs> of course you are I mean, I had somebody actually like insult me for wearing a Kedaier jersey once in in uh, a men's room at City Field. So, I mean, it, it was by design. So, that was sort of the intended
2: response. You should have like a Job Bluth, uh, like s- thing of um, lighter fluid up your sleeve <laughs> when you're wearing a Kedaier jersey, just to yes. go with the whole magician theme, you know, or illusionist rather. Oh yeah, sorry, illusionist. Um, right, right. <laughs> All right, uh real quickly, you might men- you might notice we did not mention um our uh, our pal Juan Legaris because he is not going to be starting for the Mets this year. But We had an email question about him from our friend Andy. He said, I was wondering what you guys think about Juan Ligaris' contract extension with the Mets. It was thought to be a good move for both parties when signed, but criticized because of a dip in Ligaris' performance over the last couple years. Looking at the recent extensions for players like Ender Ciarte, Odubo Herrera, and Kevin Kiermaier, I can never pronounce that name properly, Juan's deal is looking a lot better to me. Thanks. Uh, What do you think about the deal, Chris? Well... It's certainly at a low
3: point right now, just because of you know the the combination of what Lagaris has done himself and what um you know what the context of the outfield is with everybody else. It would be nice. Yeah, I, I don't think it's albatrossy. You know, it's what's left. It's um four and a half million this year, six and a half. And then nine in 19. Yeah. So this year and next, I think those salaries are, are pretty okay. And then the one year where, you know, say the bat never comes around, you, you know, or, or that it remains that he's kind of a like short side of a platoon guy as an offensive player. Uh, 2019, that might sting so but that's only one year of a salary like that so yeah it, it's i don't
2: know i i don't think we're really going to find out this year either well that but, was that was going to be my my point was that i think you really need to have him start to find out how bad that contract is yeah. if you don't start him it's a bad contract
3: well yeah no that that's that is true. Uh, you know, after this season, and who knows how things play out. Lagarus himself has not stayed the healthiest of the outfielders. Uh, you know, if a situation arises that he plays a lot more than we're all expecting at this point, then you know that that could be uh, a little bit more of a litmus test. But after this season, when the Mets have Granderson and Bruce do for free agency and you you know, you move into twenty eighteen with corners of Saspitus and Conforto, uh, you know, they'll have to make a decision about whether Ligaris is the primary guy in center field. And then I guess take it from there. I mean, I get the overall point that some guys who Kiermaier is is much more defense first, and I mean, that's not really a knock on the, the other two. Right. arte and Herrera, in terms of their defense, just the one who whose skill set I think probably is most similar to Lagaris, even though he's been a little bit better as a hitter. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't love it, but I don't think it would be nice. And the Mets have spent more money on payroll the last couple of years. Yeah, it would be nice if it really turned out that it was. Oh, nine million dollars that nobody wanted it in 2019. If the Mets' payroll was such that we didn't really care about it
2: either, right? Right. I think that if if he plays every day next season, 2018, you know, if it's if, if we're looking at an outfield of, um, Cespedes, grander Cespedes. Uh, Lagaris and Conforto, I think that he can have a lot of value in just covering for some of the, to the other two guys, maybe lack of defensive prowess in, in the outfield. And if he can hit just a little bit, I think that if with a team that has potentially a Neil Walker still at second base, who's maybe now having Ahmed Mazzario at short, I think you might, and if especially if Darno and Duda, well, Duda, you know, is a question mark for the. Just for everything, but if Darno can hit a little bit too, then all of a sudden you can carry a Juan Lagaris and not worry too much about his bat. Yeah, so we'll see. Well, uh, we'll be back next week with a uh, pitching preview. But again, we mentioned it real quickly. Just uh, for you, Chris, what was the highlight of the World Baseball Classic?
3: Uh, I think it was that Giancarlo home run. <laughs> I don't know. Insane. I
2: mean, there there
3: was every spring he comes around and reminds us like oh yeah hey everyone uh this is a thing i can do <laughs> and it for a division rival uh, he's a player who i very much appreciate uh, it probably helps that the marlins have been bad but but yeah that home run, run was great and then I, aside from that it's tough to pick one other moment there, there were so many good games and they were close and i didn't see 100% of every game but I think the highlight for me was just sort of the atmosphere, the you know, the international feel of both the actual game on the field and the crowd that was supporting it, especially in Miami.
2: So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is that sort of my highlight was just how much fun it was. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It might sound simple and silly, but it was so much fun. Right, and you could tell these guys care, uh,
3: and that is. It's enjoyable to watch. It beats spring training exhibition games by a lot.
2: (laughs) That is absolutely true. Hey,
4: everyone. This is Steve Seipa here. And I'm going to be talking about the World Baseball Classic again. And now that it's over, minutes, literally minutes have passed since the World Baseball Classic ended, and I'm recording right now, tell me that that wasn't exciting. Please, tell me that spring training is more important. Tell me that it's stupid that players are recklessly playing in the World Baseball Classic. Tell me it's uh, stupid artificial competition that doesn't matter, whatever. I I don't know about you, but seeing the players on the field, listening to all the chants in the stands, listening to the Wendons in the stands, just, I think that the tournament as a whole is pretty fun. So let's talk about those um, semi-final games. They were both nail-biters in two different ways. The game between Puerto Rico and the Netherlands had constant action, and the two teams went back and forth. And it's unfortunate that that stupid start-with-two-men-on-base rule went into effect in the 11th because, you know, the tournament isn't exactly built to handle games going deep into extra innings, but it would have been a lot more exciting to see what would happen if the two teams could have just kept playing. Rather than, you know, both making a a concentrated effort to just basically bunt that man over from third, bunt that, excuse me, bunt that man from second over to third, and then just get a sack fly to end it. And speaking of bunts, what a great way to segue to the USA versus Japan game. Uh, That was an intense game, uh, also, with Tana Roark and uh, Tomo Sugano having a great pitcher's duel. Uh, Rieske Kikuchi let the Mets, well, let the Mets. Let the U.S. score in the first uh, run of the game in the fourth, and that was pretty out of character for him because he really is by far the best shortstop in Japan. I mean, he has four Golden Glove Awards, one for every season that he's played so far. But, um, you know, what he giveth, he can also taketh away. And he went Oppo in the sixth to tie it 1 1, which is also a little unexpected of him because he's, um, you know, he's not really a power guy to begin with. And his power is pretty much mostly to his pull side, so going opposite field is a little unexpected. And uh, noble hero Matsuda made uh bobbled the ball in the top of the eighth and let the U.S. regain the lead. And in the bottom of that inning, uh, Yoshitomo Tsutsugo, I thought he tied it with a very very loud fly ball to right field uh, that Matt Vasgersian and the cameraman really really hyped up, but it was it was in play. It was excuse me, it was caught. And uh, that was that. Uh, Japan went down 1-2-3 against um, Gregerson. And surprisingly, to me anyway, Japan was eliminated. And after those two semifinals, really the final was just a little bit of a letdown. I mean, no offense to them, but it seemed to me that Puerto Rico had no chance. And then sure enough, uh, they got shut out in pretty much a blowout game. Uh Seth Lugo's Day of Reckoning finally came. But seven strikeouts isn't too shabby. You know, he's really he's really been a revelation. Uh, every ta- every every player on Team USA got at least um got on base at least twice, which I think might be a record for the World Baseball Classic, I don't know. But one thing is I wish that David Wright was healthy enough uh to have been on this uh team USA this year and get that win. You know, I've always thought that the Dark Knight was kind of a stupid nickname for Matt Harvey. You know, I'm not the biggest Harvey fan to begin with, but I always thought it was kind of dumb. But Captain America for David, you know, he's my favorite Mets player, pretty much. And Captain America is my favorite superhero, pretty much. And, you know, it it, it was just always a good nickname. And the fact that David is always kind of this shining beacon in the darkness for the Mets... And, you know, Captain America has always been this kind of shining beacon of all those good American values and whatever else. You know, it just fits. So it would have been great for David to have been on the field to celebrate with Team USA. But, you know, hopefully he's uh, able to be on the field in October or November, whenever it is, when the Mets get that ring. And, you know, that'll be equally great. So anyway, uh, one of the main reasons that the MLB kind of organized the World Baseball Classic is to increase interest of baseball abroad. And if you kind of want to be a colonialist about it, you know, it's really they're interested in increasing MLB's market share abroad, where they're competing with, you know, local leagues and other international competitions and everything else. But, you know, just being naive about it, yeah, uh, I hope interest in baseball uh, abroad increases. I mean, and just just look at China and India alone. That's 2.6 billion people. That's all almost 40% of the entire world's population, 40%. You know, Chinese baseball program is is fledgling, and in India, it's non-existent. But, I mean, imagine in in 10, 20 years, when there's a viable baseball program in in leagues in both of those countries, and you have 2.6 billion more potential baseball players out there. You know, that can only help baseball as a sport, And, you know, the MLB, if those players eventually come to the uh, United States to play. And while I'm not interested in MLB owners making more money off those guys, you know, as long as they can increase the interest and excitement that I have watching baseball, you know, that's that's the main thing. And I hope that the inverse is true, too. I hope that because of the World Baseball Classic, more people in the U.S. become interested in baseball abroad. You know, the fact that the U.S. won the championship now, it's going to reinforce that whole, you know, Americans play the best baseball thing, and maybe that's true. But even with that being the case, I hope there were people out there who, you know, were like, wow, that on thing was pretty cool. You know, maybe I'm going to go on YouTube and, and watch some more Japanese baseball I hope people are like, wow, it's pretty cool how, how players on these Caribbean teams really wore their emotions on their sleeves. Maybe next year I'll watch the Caribbean series. That'll be pretty cool, you know? Just expanding people's horizons. You know, baseball is... I like baseball as as a sport, as a thing, not just as a person that likes the Mets, you know? So it would be cool if there are more people out there that can increase their enjoyment of just baseball as a as a pastime as a thing, you know. So with that in mind, and I'm kind of re I'm I'm kind of going over stuff I've mentioned, you know, in weeks past or whatever, but for anyone, you know, I'll repeat myself for anyone who uh suddenly has become aware and interested in, in some of the leagues outside of the MLB, um, I just want to kind of go over some some of the top guys to pay attention to. You know, ten ten of the top guys that played in the World Bo- Baseball Classic and play in other leagues. Um, it's gonna be a list that's pretty Cuba and Japan heavy because Korea didn't exactly assemble its best World Baseball Classic squad. Um, the best talent in Taiwan didn't participate for reasons that I've I've mentioned last week and in the past. And even if they did, it's a little questionable um, if even their best players kind of would be on a top 10 World Baseball Classic guys to pay attention to list. And then some of the more talented guys, most of the talented guys on other teams, you know, all those Caribbean teams and Italy, uh, Australia, most of those guys are either former MLB, MLB players or are still... Affiliated with MLB teams. So, with that in mind, here are those 10 top uh, World Baseball Classic guys to pay attention to in other leagues. Number one is Victor Mesa Jr., and he's the son of Victor Mesa, who is a Cuban star, um, and he used to manage the Cuban national team. He's one of the more dynamic players in Cuba today, and he just had a breakout season last year where he hit 354, 399. 5.39 5.39 in 70 games with the Cocodrillos de Matanzas. And he pretty much has 5 tool potential. Uh, he's a good hitter. He has power. He has a strong arm. He's a plus-plus runner and a plus uh, defensive center fielder. Next up, number two, is Yelki Cespedes, who, much like Victor Mesa, is coming off of a breakout season where he hit 321, 376, 526 with the alizanas de Granma. And he's also considered a five-two outfielder. Uh, he really hasn't shown too too much power just yet. But, I mean, he has the same baseball genes that his half-brother does. So, you know that it's coming. And outside of that, though, he has shown the ability to hit for average. He's very fast. And he has the f- cesspitous arm and the family eyebrows. So, number three is Alfredo Despagne. And... He is the best player in Cuba and he's been doing it for years. Uh he's a big strong guy. So with his bat speed and strength, he has the power to hit for average and to slug home runs. And he's a little aggressive, but you know, well that power gets him a lot of respect, so he makes up for all the swings and misses with plenty of uh balls. And he's a good sense of the strike zone. He's a decent fielder, you know, nothing nothing uh special, it's passable. And he has an above uh, an average to above average arm. Next up, we'll look at number four, Shintaro Fujinami. And unfortunately, Shohei Otani didn't participate this year. But if if Otani is the best pitch in Japan, and he is, then uh, Fujinami pretty much has the potential to be the second best. Um, Fujinami, he's 22. He's always going to be living in Otani's shadow. So while his numbers don't exactly jump off the page at you... um and they kind of seem a little disappointing when you look at it in the context of what Otani's done. Uh, Fujinami has still been pretty great with the Hanshin Tigers. Uh, his fastball sits in the mid-90s, and then there's potential for him to get a little bit more of a velocity bump as he gets a little older and enters into his prime. I and mean, he's a big kid. His breaking ball and his splitter are both plus pitches and then, you know, he, he also has a changeup, a fork ball, a shooto pitch, and they're all good enough to be regularly mixed into his weapon draw. So he's a guy that's probably, unfortunately, for, you know, the Nippon professional baseball and uh, people who like watching baseball in Japan, he's a guy that's probably gonna be posted in a couple of years. So we'll probably see him in the MLB one day. Next up, number five uh, is Tomoyuki Sugano, and Sugano is really among the best pitchers in Japan as well. Uh, He's a little older than Otani and Fujinami, but he's also the ace of the Yomiuri Giants, so that counts as something in status. I mean, he voluntarily gave up a year in his career so that he could be drafted by the Giants, uh, so that he could be had. Yeah, so that he could play for the Giants after he was drafted by the Fighters, who originally. Wanted him, but didn't announce ahead of time that they were going to pick him. So he uh, basically went back to college for a year, and then was drafted by the Giants, who he wanted to play for. His fastball sits in the low to mid 90s. I um, mean, it's an effective pitch, but you know, a couple of years ago, uh, he had a fastball that really sat, you know, mid 90s. Uh, but he injured a ligament, so it's a, really a shadow of what he used to be. Now he throws two curveballs, a kind of tight one that's around 80, and then a loopier one around 70 that are both swing and miss pitches. And in addition to, you know, basically having two really good pitches, he's a control artist. Uh, he has a really high ground ball rate. And because of that, he's also one of the best fielders, uh, fielding pitchers in the country today. Number six is Tetsudo Yamada. And... Yamada is the Upcalf Swallow's best player and arguably he's the best position player in Japan. Uh he won the Central League MVP award in twenty fifteen. And since his breakout in twenty fourteen, you know, he's been basically a perennial three hundred hitter, thirty plus home run guy. And then he also has speed and he stole thirty uh more plus bases in the past two years. So pretty much, you know, middle infielders that are 30-30 guys, that's pretty attractive to any team. It's worth noting that Yamada plays in um, Meiji Jungo Park uh, Stadium, which is a hin- hitter friendly park and, you know, it's, it's a rare outdoor stadium and it's kind of windy there and its dimensions are 323, three ninety320 320. but still you know Yamada is an exceptional hitter. Next up is Yoshitomo Tatsugo, and basically he gets a lot of comparisons to Hideki Matsui. so if Hideki Matsui's Godzilla and Tetsugo is Godzuki, or maybe Godzilla, because Godzuki is kind of dumb, <laughs> and Godzilla is kind of cool. Um, but basically, the Bay Stars are a terrible team, and Tetsugo is their, is their bright spot. He broke out in 2014 as a 22-year-old, and last season, 2016, he really turned it on when he led the entire Central League, which 44 homers. Uh, he's a good hitter, too. You know, he can draw walks, and he could spray the ball at all fields. So he's not really, you know, just a one-dimensional uh, swing, you know, true outcome uh, player. He's not the best fielder, and he doesn't really add much to the base paths. But when you're a 300 hitter and you can hit over 40 home runs, you know, you don't need to be a good fielder. And you don't really need to add much on the base paths. Uh, number eight is Yang Zhang Yang. And I wrote about him on Amazing Avenue proper in 2014, when he was posted. So if you want a more detailed look at his, you know, profiles or pitcher, you can go read it there. Uh, basically, he throws a high 80s fastball, tops out around, you know, 90, 91, 92. And his slider is his best pitch overall, but he struggles to throw for strikes, so his M.O. is really to just set hitters up with his fastball and a changeup and then kind of get them fishing with the slider. Number 9, Dae-ho Lee. Um, Dae-ho Lee, he signed with the Seattle Mariners last season, and he got a little bit of playing time, but he really didn't exactly impress. So he went back to Korea for the upcoming 2017 season, and he's going to be the highest-paid athlete in the entire country. So, you know, good for him. He hit 14 home runs at the Mariners, um, but he didn't really do much else in terms of, you know, having a batting average or defense or whatever, so his playing time is kind of sporadic, and they just let him walk. Uh, he's still a talented player, though, and he'll probably put up real, you know, good numbers back in Korea. So again, good for him. He's making the money. He's getting getting playing time, and he's actually his story is actually a little interesting. He's another guy that I wrote about um, on Amazing Avenue. So anyone who's interested, you can go back and and uh, read up on Deja Lee. And the final guy is Vladimir Ballantin, who played with the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Um, he was drafted originally by the Mariners, and he didn't really get a lot of playing time uh, because of a crowded a- outfield situation. So he's traded at the Reds. And once again, you know, crowded outfield situation, didn't get much playing time. So he um, opted to sign with the Occult Swallows for the 2011 season. And in his first year there, he kind of struggled a little bit, but he did slug 31 homers, which led the Central League. He was a guy that his M.O. Uh, was always basically having power and he could kind of get on base, which is why he was kind of attracted, uh, attractive to the kind of sabermetric community uh, back in the early to mid-2000s, whenever it was, when he was a uh, prospect for the Mariners, but in 2012, then Ballantine hit 31 home runs again, and he got a little more accustomed to the league, and he hit 272, 386, 572. It was his 2013 season, though, that was really um, his hallmark season. He won Central League MVP, which happens, but it's kind of rare for a foreigner, for a Gaijin, by hitting 330, 455, 7.79. 7.79. But what was most impressive about that season, what what made it literally one for the record books, was how many home runs he hit um, that year. In 130 games, he hit 60 home runs, which broke the prior record set by Sadaharu Oh, who was the Japanese home run king. And, you know, 60 home runs is an amazing accomplishment that most... Hitters don't ever sniff, but the fact that Ballantine um, was able to actually do it makes it more makes it even more impressive because that record was so protected by the baseball um, establishment in Japan. Uh, a couple of guys in the past, Randy Bass, Tuffy Rhodes, and Alex Cabrera, either came close or tied O. But they basically weren't given the opportunity to break the record because they were constantly pitched around and you know intentionally walked, and because of that, it made O's record a little hollow. You know, at least to me, but you know, it it was what it was. But Ballantine reached that fifty-five home run uh, mark with basically two weeks of the season left. So Japanese pitchers, even if they wanted to, you know, really had no choice to pitch them. You know, they're not gonna intentionally walk a guy for two weeks straight. So, um, you know, besides for the 2015 season when he missed uh, most of the year to injury, Ballantine has been pretty much an automatic right in for, you know, well above average batting average and uh, at least 31 home runs. He's actually pretty machine-like in that regard. He's hit 31 home runs in all of his seasons except for his record-breaking... except for his injured season and his record-breaking 2013. So anyway, so that was... uh, those are bunch of guys that are you know players of note in leagues across the world and that was the world baseball classic it was fun and uh we'll do it again in a couple of years so this is steve and i'll be talking with you guys next time hi it's kate i am back
1: with the 2017 kickoff of the panic city meter i'm sick so apologize for my voice because it's gone from like 60 degrees to 20 degrees in 24 hours here, which is how one gets sick. I also apologize for having absolutely no idea what to tell you about this team because there's just, you know, we have a vague idea of probably your 25 man roster. You know, you're starting nine. It's going to be Reyes, it's going to be Cabrera, Cespedes, Granderson, walker bruce duda Darno, slash rivera you know we know who's playing i just have no idea how healthy they're gonna be and this is gonna be an incredibly high variance team because if they all stay healthy and they all contribute like they could like i would like them to like they probably maybe should this team could be really good you know sespedes sespedes is probably gonna be a sure thing granderson's looks good nose looked good in spring training, which small sample size, spring training, whatever you want to say. He's been hitting the ball, and that is what we need from Travis Darno. which, you know, really revolutionary analysis here. But, Cabrera and Walker, if they can, you know, especially Walker with his back, if he can stay healthy. Lucas Duda gave us all a scare with the back thing, but he's looked pretty good. Jay Bruce, I guess, guys, I don't know what to tell you anymore. So jay bruce you know let's just i would like jay bruce to be good i've seen people out there you know want him to fail so they have to bring up conforto we saw him failing last year and they still didn't bring up conforto so i don't know that that's really the choice here i would like it to be i would love it to be we're stuck with jay bruce i think so who knows i don't know what to tell you about michael conforto he's gonna slug 1200 in vegas and it's gonna be Embarrassing and glorious all at the same time. Reyes is very likely going to be your starting third baseman for most of the season. David Wright, who knows if he can play. Trying, you know, not to cry here. It's going to be super sad watching David Wright not play all year. But Reyes can still play, you know. Baseball, we're going to say strictly on the field stuff. The signing of Reyes was a great move. It's worked out. He's cheap. He's cheap. He can still hit. Granderson Granderson hit two monster home runs yesterday. I was laughing out loud watching that spring training game. Doesn't mean anything again, but you know what you're getting from a lot of these guys. And if they stay healthy and productive, I think the offense is going to be fine. If one or two or three of them don't contribute or are on the DL for most of the year, then you're going to get things like a heck of a lot of Ty Kelly and T.J. Rivera at bats. I like both of those guys, but let's, you know. If, if it comes to that, you've probably got some cause for concern. Rene Rivera, you've got your pitch framing metrics. I still don't do all of that stuff, but I get it. I get the appeal of him. Juan Lagares, if he can get back to the defensive standards that we know and love and he can hit a bit, then that's going to be fine. That's what you need. You need him to hit enough. and don't need to, you know, hoser, you know, hitting human assessment standards. We've seen him hit a bit. Wilmer Flores could, should be utilized as a platoon. We know Terry's not all that great at platoons and using players like they should be used. So, I don't know. It's like, again, it's such high variance. They could be great, they could be terrible. So I guess I would like to say this is going to be a really fun season. It's probably just going to be a really stressful season, which is why we're all here. So I guess I'll see you guys when we start.
2: Does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. As a reminder, next week is our pitching preview. So if you have any pitching-related questions, please email the show, podcast, at amazingavenueaudio.com, and we will talk about it. You can also go to amazingavenue.com and check out all sorts of writing ahead of the new season. We have previews for various players. We have projections. We have lots of fun stuff on there, so check it out. You may also find Avenue on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Amazing Avenue. If you wouldn't mind, you would rate, review, and subscribe to the show in, podca- in uh, Stitcher, and in iTunes, in your podcatcher of choice. Those reviews and subscriptions really do matter. They help the show immensely. So thank you for doing that. We truly appreciate it. And you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. Kate is at Katie e. Feldman. Steve is at Steve Saipa. Uh, I am at Brian and Chris is at Chris McShane. And we will be back next week with the pitching preview. So thank you so much. And uh, until next time, let's go next.